right, so Genesis chapter 15, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So I want to point out a couple things about this right here, is where we're at right now, roughly 10 years have passed since God had originally called Abraham and told him how God was going to make a great nation of him. And remember, when God called Abram, he was about 75 years old. That was how old he was when he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And so it's about 10 years later. A lot's happened. He's moved around a few different places. And here he is. You know, he's 85 years old, and God hasn't come through on his promise yet. You know, all of a sudden, you know, Abram had been, think, you know, probably already thinking at 75. Well, it looks like, you know, I'm probably never going to have any kids. He had this Eliezer that was a servant of his that, you know, he uh, was very close to. Thinking, you know, and he decided he was going to be his heir since he didn't have any seed to leave it to. But yet God had promised. God got his hopes up. And yet the clock's ticking, right, on what Abraham thinks. You know, if God's will is going to be done, obviously God's going to have to do, you know, something in a, in a certain time. And don't we often do that when it comes to things that God has prophesied? We think it has to be done in a certain time. You know, people thought in 1988 that the rapture had to come because it was 40 years since, you know, Israel became a nation. And then, you know, that didn't pan out. So then they started thinking 2018 something was going to happen a few years ago because that was going to be the 70th anniversary. And you know what? They're going to do it again in 2028. You know, 80 years because... You know, the days of man are three score and ten, and by strength they be four score. You know, and so, you know, this generation shall not pass. You know, God's got to do it in that time. And I personally believe that these are the people that are causing the Lord to delay his coming. Because I personally think that, you know, Abraham, just kind of his doubt that he had here, I think it's what made God wait longer. And I'm gonna I'm gonna show you a few things in this chapter that I am speculating. I can't really prove these things, but I really think I can tell you why God did some of the things that he did, like making Abraham wait until he was 100, based on some other things, too, that were just very similar how God dealt with things. But, folks, when we don't just believe what God says, you know, it gets us in trouble. And when, the thing is, when God promises something, it's going to happen, okay? And it's going to happen like he said it was going to happen, and so notice, you know, ten, so 10 years has passed, yet Abraham does not have a child, yet he's wondering how God is going to keep his promise. Because he's like, you still haven't given me a son, and my only heir is this Eliezer of Damascus. He's, you know, Lord, are you going to make a great nation through him? But now how is that me? So look what it says in verse 4. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came on him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, referring to his servant, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Here's what Abraham did. Abraham made a mistake that prophecy preachers have been making forever, and that is he tried to make the current situation fit the prophecy. And folks, we all do that, okay? We all do that. And again, like I mentioned this morning, it's okay for us to speculate. 
Okay, we're looking forward to the coming of Christ. Okay, anybody, you know, have any deer hunters in here? I know your brother Hugo's done some deer hunting, but um, if you're a deer hunter and you're in the woods waiting to see a deer, everything sounds like a deer, right? I mean, even a squirrel. Okay, if you've ever gone deer hunting and you hear that crunching in the leaves, you always get excited and you'll hear that crunch like, oh, that's definitely a deer. And you mean it's so loud, and then you look, and it's a squirrel. And then you want to shoot the squirrel. It's, 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 you ever shot at a squirrel, Brother Hugo, with your bow and arrow? I have. I missed, but uh, I, I got mad. I thought it was a deer. And, you know, and so the thing is, yeah, when you're looking for a deer, everything looks like a deer. Everything sounds like a deer. When you're looking for the coming of Christ, if you're looking for the tribulation or whatever, everything looks like that. It's okay. I, it's, it, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're ignorant in your study of the Bible. But here's where you got to be careful, though, is just not get, you know, not getting so convinced, not marrying yourself to an opinion or to an interpretation that you can't back down on. And that's what happens. A lot of people, they, you know, prophecy guys, they write books, and then forever, they're, it's like they're just defending their book. And you know, and you can come and show them, hey, here's where you made a big mistake. No, it can't be a mistake. You know, and then. And you don't want to do that because we all do that because we're looking for the coming of Christ. Everything looks like it could be the signs of Christ's coming, even if, it, even if it's not. And so people have typically done that. You know, We were talking about Gog and Magog the other day. Is Gog and Magog Russia? I don't know for sure. Okay? But in the 70s, you know, everybody was scared of Russia. And, you know, how Lindsay was telling everybody how... The Gaga Magog battle was probably going to be before the rapture, and everybody was expecting this imminent attack from Russia, you know, and it was just, and so they, you know, was that factually right? It could have been, or were they just trying to make current events fit Bible prophecy or their interpretation of Bible prophecy? You got to watch out for that stuff. So, you know, Abraham, he, he's looking here and he, he's trying to defend God, you know, because God's prophesied that God's going to multiply his seed, he's going to make of him a great nation. And here he is, you know, he probably told some people about it. And here he is, 85, still doesn't have any kids. And he's like, hey, you know, Abraham, what's God going to keep that promise? And, you know, well, he's going to keep it. He's just going to, I guess he's just going to do it through my servant. But that's not what God promised. And the preterists have done the same thing, too, over the years. You know, they've decided that, you know, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. You know, obviously... He's not coming back. And so what they've done is they've, they've made events in 70 A.D. You know, look like the tribulation when there's so many differences. You know, well, because you know, we, we know everything in Matthew 24 has to be, you know, fulfilled by, you know, in, during that generation. Because it says this generation shall not pass. Well, you know, are you sure about that? But they've decided that's true. So in order to keep Jesus from looking bad... What have they done? They've made Nero the Antichrist, and they've made it instead of a global thing, just really in Israel and in Jerusalem, and they've just completely butchered the scriptures trying to make, you know, Bible prophecy fit something. But, you know, as we see time go on, more and more, we're looking at things and saying, you know, I think Revelation is going to play out exactly as it's spelled out in the Bible. How many of you today, the mark of the beast seems a little more real to you today than it did a couple months ago? When you're hearing them talking about all these mandatory vaccines and talking about, you know, these IDs and things to show that you had it and 
you know, all that stuff, when you see how everybody's you know, freaking out, if you don't go outside and you're not wearing a mask or something like that, you know, because you're dangerous and spreading germs, you know, if they could just get a vaccine, well, how are we going to know people got the vaccine? How are we going to know who to run from, who to throw rocks at and things like that? So, you know, you get a mark on your right hand or your forehead so everybody knows. Well, it just it, it's, it's not more real today than ever before. And they're wanting to do these things worldwide. You know, they're talking about more about digital currency and one world currency. All these things they're talking about. You know, the predators have got to be sweating right now and thinking, man, we messed up. Because while we've just butchered the book of Revelation, especially when it comes to the mark of the beast, you know, we're seeing everything play out and get set up for exactly what the futurists have been preaching for years. And folks, it's always the right thing to do to just take God's word for what it says, even if you don't completely understand it. And so Abraham did. It's like he felt like he had to defend God. We don't need to defend God. God's God's word's going to come to pass. He is going to prove himself to be true every time. That always ends up being a mistake when we do, when we try to make things fit. We don't need to do that. So verse 5 says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. If thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Okay, now, I want you to notice a couple things here, right? Now, this is, you know, kind of a mysterious thing. We were talking about this yesterday. This was brought up, discussing this. But we see here in Genesis 15, God tells him, I'm going to multiply your seed. Now, we know from Galatians that that was done through Jesus Christ. Okay? We know that. Indisputable fact, right? So but then right here it says and he counted him for righteousness. I believe this is when Abraham got saved. Okay? Now and I believe proof of that go over uh, turn to Romans chapter 4. Right, look at Romans chapter 4. And in verse 2 It says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Okay? So Paul used this. Paul used Abraham as proof that you don't have to work for your salvation. Paul was constantly using Abraham for proof. You know, God, uh, he used the fact that Abraham was circumcised after he was saved. You know, he used that as proof that salvation is not of works. He used the fact that Abraham believed God. You know, he used that as proof that salvation was not of works. And then, uh, I need to turn over there and look at verse 9 of Romans chapter 4. It says, Cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also, for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Abraham didn't get circumcised till after Isaac was born. Okay, So we, we know what he was saved before that. In verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of circumcision, 
but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, folks, you have to go to Romans 4 all right, when you're going to preach about Genesis 15. Genesis 15 and the Abrahamic covenant, people always go here to prove that the land belongs to the Jews. That's where they always go. They go to Genesis 15. Well, why don't we read some, the commentary? Why don't they ever read the commentary from the New Testament on Genesis 15? Why don't they do that? You know, it, it, would, it would make sense to do that if we need to interpret it, but they want to make it about the Jews because of their bloodline, even though Romans chapter 4, when speaking about this very day, this very covenant, mentions how it's not those who are of the law, but it's those who are of faith. And it says, for if they which are of the law be heirs, Faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Okay? The Zionists better hope that they are wrong about physical people of Israel. If they are right, okay, then they're not saved because faith is no good. Okay? They better, and I understand there's a lot of Baptists that teach salvation by grace through faith. They're right on salvation. They are saved. Okay? But if they were right when it came to their position on Israel... If they were right, then that would mean none of us are saved. It would mean they were not saved because that would mean salvation was of the law. Okay? Now, thankfully, I do believe you can be saved and be wrong when it comes to Israel. But at the same time, you're just going to end up looking stupid in the Scriptures if you teach that kind of thing. But it says, for the law, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise. Uh, might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be. Now, we're not going to keep reading on that, but if you read the rest of Romans chapter 4, it shows how after Abraham was saved, he was also a great example of someone whose faith was great. And you may remember, I preached a message a while back, you should refer to it, called a twofold child of Abraham, where I talked about how we are the children of Abraham in the fact, if, if you're just saved, you're a child of Abraham. Because Abraham got saved by believing God, and so he was the father of those who are of faith. But then also, he's the father of those who are of faith because he probably showed the greatest example of faith in God after salvation when he offered up his son Isaac. So God calls us children of Abraham when we believe and when we get saved. In other words, we are a part of that inheritance. We are the children of Abraham. We are the children of God. We are Abraham's seed. But when we act like Abraham, when we have faith like Abraham, we're his children too because of our actions. Okay? And we want to be both. All right? To get to heaven, you only have to be a child of Abraham just by believing like he did. But a twofold child of Abraham, that's somebody who has great faith too. And we ought to all strive for that. We all, all ought to want to be like Abraham. So refer to that message if you're confused on that. So Paul also used Abraham to teach the same thing to the Galatians, that salvation is not of works. Look what it says in Galatians 3, 
in verse 6. It says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so that they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So notice how over and over again we see that we have, we're blessed with Abraham. You know, we are children of the covenants and the promises. You know, Abraham, the promises, the things he, uh, the covenants that God gave him were by promise. And just like Isaac was a child of the promise, unlike Ishmael who was of the flesh, we, as Isaac, are the children of promise. Galatians 4.28 spells that out. They who are of the flesh, these are not the children of God. So for people to go to Genesis 15 to prove that the physical seed, you know, the land belongs to them, is just ignorance. It's pure ignorance of Galatians, of the book of Romans. It is, it's just dead wrong. And so this chapter right here is a key chapter when it comes to understanding salvation. The Romans road that we teach a while back, I preached a message, you know, the Romans road in the Old Testament. And uh, I I was showing how in Romans, it's constantly going back to the Old Testament to prove that salvation is not by the works of the law. It uses the Old Testament and it usually uses Abraham to prove that salvation is by believing only. It's always using Abraham. So the thing is, you know, for people to say that there's faith plus works in the Old Testament. They're completely ignorant because they'll say, you know, it's well, it's faith without works in this dispensation. But the problem is when Paul in this dispensation was teaching about salvation, he used Genesis to prove the salvation that he was teaching in this dispensation. That tells me salvation has always been the same. Okay, Romans, okay, Paul didn't even, even though he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, He was not just writing a new thing. He was preaching from the Old Testament throughout the entire book of Romans. So it's it's just insane to teach the things that are being taught about the physical nation of Israel and about salvation and dispensational salvation. It's completely foolish. But let me point out, in fact, this was a question that came up. We see, we've seen two different times in the book of Genesis where Abraham called on the Lord. Okay? And... I don't have time really to get into all the significance of that, but did God choose Abraham before Genesis 15? I mean, remember how God called him out of the early Chaldees? Y'all realize that God chose Abraham before he was saved? Okay, now, the Calvinists will have a heyday with that, right? Now, what do we have to say about the fact that God chose Abraham? Folks, there's, there's no doubt God chose Abraham before he got saved. Okay? God called him out of the early Chaldees before he had called on the Lord either of those times. And we see here that Genesis or um, Romans uses Genesis 15 to prove salvation is by believing. And so if Abraham gets saved here when he believes what God tells about how he's going to multiply his seed. See, see, he didn't believe in Jesus. But wait a minute. How did that? How was that fulfilled? How was that promise fulfilled? It was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So when he believed God's promise 
He was believing on Jesus Christ. You all understand that? Okay. He said, no, he's not. Well, then who was God talking about right there? Okay. And if you don't know, go read the book of Galatians, and it's pretty clear. Go read the New Testament. It's pretty clear. Okay. Abraham was believing on Christ. So, so again, how did Abraham get chosen before he got saved? Well, here's the question. And this is, the, this is what the Calvinists never want to answer. Chosen for what? Okay? Chosen for what? See, they'll, they'll read the word chosen and elect and predestinate and all that, and they will always tell you for salvation. Even though those passages, many times, are not talking about being chosen for salvation. They're talking about very specific things. Often things that come with salvation, but understand... God chose Abraham to be who he would raise up a nation with. You all understand that? God wanted to raise up a nation, and God chose Abraham, and I believe God chose him before he was saved. Okay? Now, we all understand that Israel came from Abraham, but Israel ended up becoming the chosen nation, right? Because even though God chose Abraham, it wasn't Ishmael. That became God's people. It wasn't of Esau became God's people. Okay, it was Israel. Okay, it was Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. Now let me ask you: When Israel was God's people, when Israel was the chosen people, were they all saved? No, they weren't. But were they God's chosen nation? Yes, they were the people that God chose to give His law to. They were the people that God, you know, chose to do all kinds of miracles with. But were they all saved? No. Even Israel, everybody who was a part of Israel, they had to get saved as individuals at some point in their life. Okay, but eventually, okay, Israel, you know, will be saved if they abide not still in unbelief, if they have faith, if they believe God. So it's not weird to think that God chose somebody to do a work in, a great work in, that was not saved because you know, before he was saved. Because I think there's a picture there of Israel, too. Just because Israel's gotten chosen doesn't mean they're saved. They still need to believe God just like their father Abraham did. So you all understand that? So I believe God's showing us something here. Because God didn't choose, just choose Abraham because he got saved. Now, I do believe Abraham was a special person. And God wanted it to be him that he raised up a nation with. And why God chose Abraham, we don't know. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? We see that in the book of Romans when he's talking specifically about Israel and how God chose the physical nation to be the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. We see also in Romans how God chose Pharaoh. God chose Pharaoh. Right? So he, God needed somebody to basically so he could harden his heart so he could show his power to Israel. And God basically raised Pharaoh up for destruction. We see God do that type of thing with people in the Bible it's not that weird, all right? It's not that unusual. You know, God's going to choose somebody to be the Antichrist one of these days. You know, so God does that kind of thing with people in the Bible, and it, that does not back up Calvinism to where all of a sudden God's picking who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. Just because God chose people for things. God chose Jeremiah while he was still in the belly. God chose John the Baptist before he had, was ever born, before he ever did anything so we see many examples like that in the Bible. So it's really not that weird with Abraham either. So don't let, don't let the fact that we don't see Abraham getting saved until Genesis 15 confuse you. 
right? God was already doing a work in his life before that, but it was at that point when he believed God that God was going to multiply his seed as the stars, which God was going to do that through Jesus Christ. It wasn't until the moment he believed on Christ that he got saved. And so uh, that's an important thing to understand. But um, So look at verse 7, Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 15. So he said, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Okay, now, is it okay if I speculate a little bit right now? Okay, I've been preaching so far, telling you just fact, you know, straight fact from the Bible. But let me, let me now speculate, all right? I'm, I'm just talking to everybody right now and telling you what I think about this. So, he's already believed God that he's going to multiply his seed, all right? But then God tells him, I'm going to give you the land, too. And, then, and it doesn't say he just believed God right there for that. What does he say? How am I going to know that I shall inherit it? Isn't it enough that God told him he's going to inherit it? Shouldn't that have been enough right there? I mean, does God want us to continue to grow in our faith after we get saved? But do we not, even as saved people, often doubt God? Now, as saved people, when we doubt God, is God usually happy with us or upset with us? Okay, He's usually upset with us. I personally believe God was not happy with Abraham at this point. Okay, because look at the next thing we see too. And I, I, this is my thought. You know, if you find something that proves me wrong in the Bible, I won't get mad at you. All right, or if you just think I don't, I don't agree with that. I, that won't make me mad either. Okay? This is just my thoughts. But it says, and he said unto him, Take thee a heifer of three years old, and a she goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, an horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they serve shall serve, Will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance? And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Okay, so notice a couple things here. All of a sudden, out of the blue, before Israel's had a chance to do anything, because they don't exist yet, God told them they're going to be a stranger in Egypt for 400 years, they're going to be afflicted. For 400 years and I'm gonna and, and, and now I do believe one of the reasons that God wanted to do what he did here is because God God was going to deal with Egypt they were a wicked nation also he said the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full okay they were the Amorites dwelt in that land that God has just promised to Abraham so God is planning on dealing with these wicked nations through Israel. Okay? God wanted to do a work with Israel to defeat these people, right? To punish the wicked. God wanted to use Israel for that. But it's just kind of interesting how God is putting them in bondage for 400 years when have they really done it? They hadn't done anything. They weren't even born yet. 
But Abraham, he asked God this question, I think insulted God a little bit when God told him, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, I'm going to give you this land, how, how do I know I'm going to get it? You say, well, you're, you're kind of jumping to conclusions. You know, why would you assume that? Well, does anybody remember the story of Gideon? We're not going to take time to go read it. Remember when God came to Gideon and God told him he was going to use him to defeat the, uh, name, the group escaped me. Midianites. Yeah, he's going to use him to defeat the Midianites. And what, you know, what did Gideon do? Okay. Gideon, remember how he put out the fleece? And then God did the miracle where he made the fleece wet and the ground dry. And then, and I might be getting it backwards, the order that he did it. But then, God does this miracle as a sign for Gideon. It wasn't enough that God just told Gideon, I'm going to do this. He's like, I need a sign. Okay? And so then God does that sign. Well, okay, I know you did that one sign, but how about you reverse it this time? You know, make the fleece wet and the ground, or dry ground, uh, ground wet and the fleece dry. And then God does that too. He's like, all right, I'm going to go to battle. Well, then they get ready to go to battle. And he's got, you know, 30-some thousand men. And then, what does God do? God ends up taking his army down to 300. And you know, after God took Gideon's army down to 300, Gideon didn't ask for any more signs. I personally, this is my opinion. The Bible does not tell us this. But we see in the Bible, when people would start asking for signs, God would often make the situation even more impossible. Because God wants faith from people. God wants people to believe him. And I personally believe, I mean, it would have been a miracle if Gideon would have defeated the Midianites with 30-some thousand people. But was it not a greater miracle with 300? Either way, it would have been a miracle, but it was a much greater one. And I think God did that because he was, he was looking for signs. And here with Abraham, God tells him something. But now, instead of just believing God on that, he wants a sign and I personally think that that's why God had him go into Egypt for 400 years. Okay? That, that's my opinion on that. And I, and I could be dead wrong. But, folks, was it not amazing what God did and how he brought them out of Egypt? Because bringing them out of Egypt was an impossible task because, one, Egypt was way stronger than they were. They were afflicted greatly. I mean, they... They had the greatest armies, the greatest chariots. They got backed up into the Red Sea, you know, and God had to part the Red Sea. God had to drown. God had to do everything. What's God doing? He's trying to teach Israel, you can trust me. I can, I can do anything. And, and so God has them all, the, all these things. And, folks, we need to understand, if we're going to have this attitude, I don't think God can do things. You know, God's just going to put us in a more difficult, more dire situation so he can prove himself to us. I'd rather not find myself in those situations. So why don't we just believe God right away with whatever he says? Just believe him right away. Don't question anything. That way we don't have to find ourselves in a situation where we need great amounts of faith. That's, it's, uh, that's my opinion on what we see happening here. Because watch, watch what happens, right? And another thing, too. Another reason, I, you know, and this is for sure why God wanted things to happen the way he did. Because he, he spelled out, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I want to deal with that nation. Okay? God was planning on dealing with these nations. And people often wonder, too. They'll read these stories about how God would tell them to go in and just, like, wipe out all these people. Sometimes he even say women and children and animals and everything. And people get real mad. They get real bent out of shape. And think, man, God's really mean. You know, look at all the genocide that we see 
in the Bible. You know, why would God do that? You know, because, I mean, it wasn't really their land. You know, the Canaanites had it first. You know, we all, we all think whoever had the land first, that's who it belongs to, right? Okay? And, you know, and that's why we should all feel guilty as white people for having this land that we stole from the Indians. All right? But at the same time, you know, why did God take the land away from the Amorites and the Canaanites? Because they were wicked. And you know what? It's God that created this earth, and it was God that originally divided the nations, too. So it was God that originally gave that land to the Canaanites, but since they were wicked, you know what? God took it away from them, and God destroyed them. And you know, last time I checked, the Indians weren't really serving God, you know, when they came over on the Mayflower, right? you know, they, or when the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, the Indians weren't, they didn't find the Indians over here worshiping Christ and serving God. You know, they weren't living, and you say, oh, they deserve I'm not saying that, all right? God may have felt that way and allowed it to happen. I, I don't know for sure, but it does seem like it's kind of, you know, similar to what we see in the Bible. Because, I mean, the Amorites, they were very wicked people. There was a lot of wicked stuff that they did. So they did. They had it coming. And Israel was their punishment. Y'all understand that? They were being, you know, it wasn't just Israel going and just conquering the land and wiping everybody out. No, Israel was the judgment of God coming on these nations who had done all kinds of abominations. And the Bible tells us the kind of abominations that they did. For example, homosexuality. God said, you're not going to do that. Why? Because all the, all the nations that I cast out before you, these are the abominations they did. You're not supposed to do the abominations that the heathen did in this land. The land itself is vomiting out the inhabitants. I've driven them out because of these abominations. Don't you go doing those same things or you're in trouble. And so, and you know, don't you know sacrifice your children? Don't let your children pass to the fire and offer them to the God Molech. Well, why would Israel do that? Where did that come from? It came from the Canaanites. That's the type of thing they did. They sacrificed their own children, and a nation that sacrifices their own children, you better believe, is worthy of any judgment that God brings on it. And that ought to scare us. Because we are a nation that sacrifices their own children. There's no doubt about that. So, verse 17, Genesis 15 says, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Okay? You know what that was? That was a miracle. That was a sign. Abraham's gone. He's chopped up these animals. He's divided them. And all of a sudden, this horror of great darkness comes. And then this floating lamp goes in between the pieces, okay? A cool sign, a cool show. But he shouldn't have needed that, folks. He, he shouldn't have needed that, but yet God gave it to him. So that was the sign the Lord gave Abraham so he would know. Because you read that, and it's like, why would God have him chop up those animals, you know, and lay them out like that, and a lamp go through there? You know, what's the purpose of that? What's the significance of that? And I don't completely understand all that, but God, I do know this, God was giving Abraham a sign so he would know that God was going to give him the land. But I think God's word should have been enough. And thankful, and God's word was all God gave Abraham when it came to the promise of a multiplying a seed as the stars of heaven. And Abraham did believe that. And thankfully, you know, when it, when it comes to believing on Christ, you know, those of us who are saved, we got saved not because we saw a sign. The Jews require a sign. They don't get it. Okay? You know, we believed on Christ. 
But often we're like Abraham, and even after we get saved, we want signs for things that God has told us. Lord, I need a sign. If you, if you want me to, you know, give my tithes and offerings, I, I need a sign. That's what you want me to do. You know, I, I need. You know, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, I know it says so in the Bible. But I need a sign. You know, make my neighbor do something that would make me love them. You know, you know, do. You know, we're always asking for some signs. You know, Lord, if it's you know 72 degrees and sun shines with a little bit of clouds, you know, I'll go do what I'm supposed to do. No, no, we just need to do what we're supposed to do, no matter what. So verse um, 18 says, so in the same day. The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. Unto thy seed he saith not unto seeds as of many, but as unto one. Thank God for an inspired scripture that every jot and every tittle has been preserved. Because if he'd added one S on there, if the Bible had not been preserved, if the King James translators would have messed up with one letter, and added an S on there, then there would be reason to believe that that's talking about the Jews. But it doesn't say seeds is a many. Thankfully, that had been preserved to Paul's day. Because Paul was able to look at that. Yeah, it doesn't say seeds. It says seed. What seed could he be talking about? Well, uh, Jesus Christ. Hey, and if we're Christ, we're Abraham's seed. It, that, that's how we know these promises. That's how we know we're right on this. This is how we know we're right on salvation, about the covenants. We know we're right because of Genesis 15. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I could have figured all this stuff out just with Genesis 15, all right? But you all understand that the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul used Genesis 15 to prove these things. So the things that we teach about Israel and about being Abraham's seed... Okay, while we go to Galatians chapter 3, the proofs isn't even there. The proofs in Genesis 15. Okay, we, are, we, prove, we can prove we're right about Israel from Genesis 15. Because Paul used Genesis 15 to prove uh, what, what he taught and what we believe. So, uh, so he said, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. All right? And notice what, it, and so, you all, I, I've got a map out here. I'm not going to hold it. You all wouldn't even be able to see it. But that land that he gave, okay, is much bigger than the land of Israel today. In fact, on this map that I have here, um, that land would include a big chunk of Egypt, a huge chunk, chunk of Saudi Arabia, uh, a big chunk of about almost half, probably half of Iraq, more than half of Syria, and all of Jordan, Okay. That's a big hunk of land, isn't it? Way bigger than what they have now. And it says the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaims, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Because those are the ones who had that land during that time. Okay, now, go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. So here's the thing. Israel never had that land. Y'all understand that? They never had that. Okay. Now, why is that? Now, and this is speculation, too, and I'm not the only one that's speculated this, but a lot of people believe they never got all that land, partly because of Abraham and kind of his you know, lack of faith that he had there in believing that promise, too. You know, they, we have stories of just different things they did that, and, and, and I'm speculating, I, I can't prove this, but 
you know, some have just showed these different things they did, different mistakes they made that caused them to lose some of the land, even, for example, when they went into Egypt, right? And, and I don't know for sure that. I think that some people would even say part of the reason they didn't get all that land was because they did not cross over Jordan when they were supposed to. And, you know, they got scared when they saw the walls of Jericho and things like that. And so it was like every time they would have, like, this lack of faith, it was like the amount of land would get smaller and smaller. Okay? And, and the tr- but the truth is, they never had all that land. Even in Joshua's day, they didn't have the land that God promised to Abraham. The fathers that referred to were the fathers that came out of Egypt. They did get the land that God promised them then, but it was a smaller amount of land. Okay? So the question is, are they ever... Since God promised that land to Abraham, is there ever going to be a time when they will have all that land? Okay, Because people like to talk about and they talk out of both sides of their mouth. When they talk about the Abrahamic covenant, they're like, no, that land of Israel is there today. You know, we got we got to worry about the Gaza Strip. we got to worry about all these parts that the Palestinians are trying to get right now. You know, because God promised that to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. It was, it was a covenant of promise. Therefore, you know, it's unconditional. It belongs to the physical seed. All right, we've already shown how that's stupid. But at the same time, too, wait a minute. If you're going to go to the Abrahamic Covenant, why are you so worried just about the Gaza Strip? Why aren't you worried about all of the country, all of Jordan? Why aren't you worried about you know a big chunk of Saudi Arabia and a big chunk of Egypt and half of Iraq and half of Syria? Why aren't you worried about that too? You know, if you're if you're just so stuck on Genesis 15, why and it was an eternal promise, then why did God never give them all that land? Why have they never had it? And so some will say, well, they're going to get it in the millennium. And you know what? They might. All right? I, 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 they very well could get it in the millennium. But understand, if they get it in the millennium, it's going to be all resurrected Israel during that time. It's going to be the ones who are saved that will be resurrected at that point. But at the same time, too, are we sure it's going to be that land that's there today? Well, it has to be, right? Because God promised that to Abraham. Well, are you sure what God promised to Abraham, you know, was a hunk of soil that's over there today? Because, you know, uh, Bill Grady talks about how, you know, how Israel's married to the dirt over there. That's what he literally, I mean, he literally teaches that that dirt is like sacred and belongs to Israel. And he even like has some dirt from Israel that he was using as an illustration, all right? Well, if they're going to inherit all that dirt, you better make sure that dirt gets back to Israel that you stole from there. You know, <laughs> you know that belongs to that. You know, folks, realize that, that, that is so dumb, all right? But what do, you, you know, what do I think about this? Well, look what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 13. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. And Abraham is one of the people they're talking about here. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So the Bible says that what Abraham was looking for was a heavenly country. You know, God had God had prepared something better for them. So understand, while God did promise them him, him that land, 
Okay? The heavenly country that has been provided through Jesus Christ, y'all understand that it's better than that land right there? And I've told you this before, and I'm going to say it again. If God promises you something, but instead he gives you something better, did he break his promise? No, that's not breaking his promise. If I promise you $100 and I give you $1,000, I didn't break my promise. I gave you something better. And so what people always want to do, they always want to go focusing on that earthly land, that physical land. God's got to do this. or God, You're saying God's a liar if he's not going to give that to them. Not if God's given them a heavenly country. Not if God has something better for them. If God has something better for them, then God has kept his promise. You know, but you want to go ultra literal because I said $100. Now I can't give you $1,000. Or you're going to call me a liar. And you're going to say, because God promised them a land. And, why, and here's the thing, too. Why, is land, why was land so important to them back then? What was so important about land? Here's what, what was important about land is because he wanted to have a nation. God, want, God told me he was going to make a great nation of him. If you were going to survive as a people, you know what you needed? You needed some land. You needed a place to live. You needed a place where you can grow things. You needed that in order to do that type of thing. But understand what God told Abraham. He was going to multiply his seed as the stars of heaven. So this land that God has promised him here, that land right there, you know, that's not going to fit all those people that God has promised to Abraham. But it will if it's a heavenly country. You know, it will. You know, it's like, well, you know, you know, is Abraham's seed multiplied that much? Well, yeah, it is if, you know, there's people from all nations. If it's referring to all the saved, then yes. I mean, God did keep this promise. Now, I can see why, you know, Abraham at first would have been thinking it's going to be done, you know, through a physical seed and being a physical land. But understand, God had something better for Abraham and that, that is a heavenly country. So, you know, I don't really worry about the whole physical land thing. Okay? God may do something with that land in the millennium because when he returns, you know, at, at that time of, uh, you, know, you know, of the restitution of all things, Jesus is going to do a lot of things when he comes back that are going to fulfill every promise from the Old Testament. So if something needs to be done with that land... Jesus will take care of it, you know, during the millennium, all right? But at the same time, you know, he may not do it with that land because the heavenly country is better, all right? So he, God's fulfilled his promise in that way. So we definitely don't want to use that to get all worked up about what's going on with the land over there and go, you know, trying to get Trump to go fight the Palestinians to give Israel the Gaza Strip, okay? You know, that's, that's absolutely foolish and it's a waste of time. God, what God promised Abraham, what Abraham was looking for was a city, you know, whose foundation, whose maker, it was God. It was not some, it was not some physical land. It wasn't some dirt that's over there today. So we need to, uh, it's important that we understand the Abrahamic covenant. It's not about a physical people. It's about a spiritual people. It, you, you listen to probably 99% of messages on the Abrahamic covenant. They make it all about the physical people but when we go to galatians 3 and romans chapter 4 that is referring to the abrahamic covenant he clearly makes it about us those who are of faith so folks you know this uh you know zionist teaching is just a bunch of garbage it's just an absolute lie it is ignorance and it's and there's a lot of heresy 
There's a lot of pure heresy in that too. And thank God that we, these covenants, these promises are for us. These are things that we are looking forward to. I'm looking forward to that heavenly country. I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to that same country. I'm look all those promises that God gave to Abraham. I'm looking forward to being an inheritor of those promises. You're you're not a Jew, but I'm Abraham's seed. Why, how did I become Abraham's seed? Because I'm in Christ. Jesus Christ is where it's all at. So let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you so much for your word, dear God. I pray that uh, you'll help us to understand these things and hope, Lord, help us to be like Abraham and. Not to get caught up in the things of this world, but to be looking for that better country, that heavenly country. And I pray you'll help us to show the kind of faith like Abraham did uh, later in his life. And Lord, I pray we won't doubt you when you tell us you're going to do something. Help us just believe it right away and uh, not go looking for signs. In your name we pray. Amen.